Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about stalled labors. What if labor seems to kind of be stuck? I know if you're the birthing person, you want to move that labor along. So to have a conversation about how to help balance your body, how to help baby find space, how to help baby seamlessly move through the pelvis so labor does not stall, I have a wonderful guest, Lindsay McCoy. Let me tell you a little bit about her. So Lindsay McCoy is the co-founder of One Strong Mama, an online prenatal and postnatal exercise and birth preparation program. She's also the founder of the Body Ready Method, a professional training program for perinatal and birth pros that teaches a new paradigm of physiological support in prenatal prep and birth support. Lindsay gives you so many tools and so many wonderful tidbits in our conversation. So we talk about things like what to do if your birth is stalled and why we hope to avoid that, what you can do prenatally to help balance and prepare your body for a more functional and efficient birth. She also talks about common signs that parents can see that birth is a little delayed and how we can start to make room for baby and to rebalance your body. This conversation is packed full of pieces of information that can give you confidence heading into your birth. Because I think that really makes a difference. When you feel confident, we can be more prepared to roll with the punches and we know we have tools for obstacles that may occur. So I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. But before we get to my talk with Lindsay, I just want to go over some stuff happening at the studio at Prenatal Yoga Center. So we're adding to our class schedule. We, I'm, I'm very cautious about how we layer classes on. I think we're at the point where we're adding more in-person classes. Now I did, I have been talking about this for a while and I had someone write in saying they don't live in New York and they want to continue. So am I going to take away on per, online classes because I'm adding in-person classes? Not at all. No, we're going to still have seven days a week online until I feel it doesn't make sense anymore, which I don't know why I would think that it's going so well. Um, And we're going to have more in-person classes. We're also having our teacher training in person for September, October, but then we're going to have it online for November and December, which is almost full. And for January, February, also online. So if you want to continue to take classes with us, no matter where you are, we are here for you. And if you want to take a very deep dive into the world of prenatal yoga, Yoga. And it's not just about pose modifications. We're also really looking at the birth paradigm in our country, in our world, and how we can support our students so that they can feel prepared and confident and ready for their birth. So lots of great stuff to dig into. And you can check all that out on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. And while you're there, go ahead and download your free downloadable of five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. It's like a little cheat sheet if you you can't make it to class, I got something that can help you every day. And then the last thing I want to do is just remind you that this podcast is for you. 
the listener. So if there's a topic that you want to hear more in depth or a topic I haven't even covered, please let me know. I'd love to make sure that I'm best serving you, that what you're interested in, I can provide for you. So one of my favorite things is to take a deep dive and find experts and then research and dig up a wonderful conversation. So let me know if there's a topic you want me to go further into. And you can email me at deb at prenatalyogacenter.com and I will take care of that for you. Okay, we're going to take a super quick break and when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Lindsay. Lindsay, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to chat. We haven't talked since I think I was on your podcast like two years ago. Yeah, it's been a while. I've been following you on social media. It's fun to see. Oh yeah, and I stalk you too. (laughs) Yeah, we both live in the same in the same birth world, so we yes. kind of circle our orbits around each other. But I'm really excited to pin you down and pick your brain because you know so much about we're gonna talk about stalled labor, about the body, about what to do with how to help the body get balanced. But I would love if you could just tell people a little bit about you and how you landed in the birth world. Sure. So I started my career. Well, first of all, before even going into what I want to do with my life, I am the daughter of a library and delivery nurse. I'm the granddaughter of an OBGYN. Funny enough, my father-in-law is an OBGYN <laughs> as well. So essentially, I've always been surrounded by birth talk. Like dinner mm. talk would be like episiotomies and hemorrhages. <laughs> and I was like, I want no part of this. I am going into exercise science, like no birth for me. <laughs> and then, you know, I it kept calling me back. So, um, you know, as the female trainer, I would get all of the pre and postnatal clients. And I really, you know, looked into the research at the time and there really wasn't a lot of great research on prenatal exercise. And so I, I decided to start doing my senior research on for my exercise physiology degree on prenatal exercise. And even still, After doing all of that, there really wasn't, it really didn't come home for me until in 2007, I had my first baby. I think a lot of us find birth with our own experiences. And, you know, I joke that birth was not the way Ina Mae Gaskin told me it was supposed to be. (laughs) And uh, I was like, the researcher, I'm I'm an obsessive researcher and I, I need to know the why behind things. And when that birth and that experience didn't go the way that I had hoped, I needed to know. And I spent the next two years deeply researching all of that. In 2009, I had my second baby and made very different choices and um, had a really amazing experience and was like, all right, this is what I'm meant to do. And um, so in 2009, like very shortly after his birth, I started attending births. Um, I started, you know, getting certified to teach childbirth education and I thought I was leaving exercise behind. Like I was like, I'm done with that. I'm moving into this, but very, very quickly into attending births, literally first birth was 40 hours long, ended in a cesarean that she wasn't originally planning. And I was like, wow, there's got, there's got to be more. And I started realizing and seeing correlations between, you know, the beauty of this work is that I was, I was also teaching prenatal yoga and getting certified in that. And I started seeing 
a lot of correlations to what we're doing in pregnancy and the birth outcomes. And I also started noticing, you know, if I would do this particular technique at the birth, you know, say release, I don't know, throw something out there, sacrotuberous ligament, I release that. You know, it's a ligament that can restrict baby coming out of the pelvis. I'm like, well, why am I, why am I reacting? You know, it's good to react, but how can I be more proactive with people? You know, like in exercise science, we talk about the law of specificity and yet in pregnancy, it's just like, ah, oh, just modify your normal routine. And so I really started to dive really deeply into that. So I've really been, I moved into, you know, teaching prenatal prep for birth. Now I'm teaching it to doulas and PTs and OTs and yoga, you know, teaching all these folks how to prepare for a easier birth, you know, and it's just, it's my life's work. So I guess that's, that's it in a nutshell, how I, how I came to be doing what I do now. Oh, and that's so, and the world is a better place for it because you do really offer wonderful things. And you and I are very similar in the fact that we look at what are we doing while pregnant that can affect the birth outcome? Because I was like that 40 hour person. My first birth Mm. was 42 hours and I had to step back and be like, wait a second, what was I doing that added to that? And it got me like you very curious to say, hmm, can we do better? Yeah, and we can. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. And the answer is we can. Right, yes. So we're going to talk about stalled labor. And I have that in, in my notes and kind of quotes because birth can take a while, you know, depends right. on how baby's coming down. But like you were just saying, there are restrictions in the pelvis that can stall things out. So let's just even go for explaining what is it, what is stalled labor, and why we hope to avoid it. <laughs> Yeah, so labor stall, sometimes it's called arrested labor or labor dystocia. It's basically when something is not progressing the way, as optimally as it could. And, you know, there's different, you know, different, like an OB versus a midwife versus, you know, everyone's going to have a different, like, how long they consider to be a labor stall. So I'm not going to go into, you know, you have to be at this many centimeters for this many hours. Like I, I feel like we can, we don't need to be so specific with that. If, if there is hours of no progress, why not do something to support the physiology to make it more efficient? Because that person is going to be, you know, working very hard, maybe, you know, using a lot of energy and resources. And why not do things we can do to make that process more efficient? So there can be an arrest in, let's say, dilation and effacement. So maybe someone's been... I don't know, three centimeters for 12 hours, you know, like, why would we not want to do something there? You know, I mean, sure, we could sit and wait and see. And that that definitely, I do think that there is a time and a place where if everyone's okay and doing okay, there's nothing that we should be doing. However, if everyone's not okay, we there there are things we can do and there's things we can do before medical intervention, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a dilation effacement. There's also an arrest in descent, so that would be like the baby just maybe, maybe we're dilating more, but the baby is not moving down in the pelvis. And to me, you know, if after hours and hours and that baby still, let's say minus one station or, you know, and even you don't even have to check, you know, I teach professionals how to be a good birth detective and how to know 
some signs that we need to, to introduce balance, right? But, um, if that's happening, there, there are, there are things we can do and there's things we can do prior to what the medical model would do. And I'm sure you, you see this all the time as well. You know, what's the mo- medical industrial complex? What's their fix, right? What's their fix Pitocin. when the, the labor is? Um, not progressing. They're going to no. be like, let's get some pit going and let's yeah. keep upping the pit. And that has, that's another conversation of like, what are the, what's the cascade from that? Right. I mean, it's all about force, right? They're going to say power, power, I power, power. Add, yeah. I need to add more force or more power behind these contractions. And the example that I like to give for that is, um, you know, and, and I, I think I showed this on Instagram at some time. I found like a toilet paper tube. If everyone knows what a toilet paper, you know, an empty toilet paper tube looks like. Mm-hmm. And then I got one of my daughter's little baby Barbies of all things. And, and I, you know, if I, if you imagine that tube and making it into, let's say like an oval or something, and then you have a circle trying to fit through an oval. And this is just a really rudimentary example. Like, would you want to add more force to try to force that circle through that oval? Or would you want to maybe make that oval more circular so that the fits better so that that circle can more safely get through, right? The baby. So, because otherwise, you know, they think like these, these natural things that I like to do to support the physiology, they also help the baby to be less stressed, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we're trying to force a circle through an oval, (laughs) like someone, something's going to got to give. Right. And so I'm not against Pitocin. I'm not against, you know, artificially rupturing the membrane. There's a time, there's a time and a place for these interventions, but not until we've exhausted these safer physiological support options. I 100% agree 100%. And when you were talking about, you know, sometimes we do need to be at three centimeters and work on, again, it's not also not always about dilation, as you know, it's right. also, you know, descent and station, as you were saying. It, it was interesting. I was having a conversation with someone recently about length of labor and they were like, labor should be however long labor wants to be. And I'm like, yes and no. And this yeah, is just my opinion. This is just my opinion. But having had two labors, one very long, one reasonably short, four to six hours. I preferred the shorter one and having did my body and my mind and my team and having been a doula to those, the long labors and yes, baby sometimes needs to work itself out. Like for my long labor, my son's head was asynclitic. The head was towards the shoulder and sometimes baby needs to work itself out. But then also it is exhausting on everyone and can be very hard on the body of the birthing person. So I'm, I'm very tentative about saying, sure, labors need, you know, can be any length where I feel again, maybe this is just my perspective, having had a very hard first labor, that if the body is set up to have a more efficient birth, it's, it can be easier emotionally, physically for the, for labor to move smoothly. What are your thoughts? Right. Um, I mean, I would say it's a spectrum. So the goal isn't fast and furious, have your baby fall out in (laughs) under an hour. Yeah. So that's not, you know, and and I've had, I've seen that as well. I've seen a lot in hundreds of births and, you know, that's not necessarily the goal, you know, and, and actually my easiest birth of my four own births was my longest birth, interestingly enough. So my third birth was actually 12 hours long, but it wasn't 12 hours of intense 
crazy, you know, it was, it was, you know, wake up in the morning, 6am kind of text my team, like, Hey, this might be the day. And, and, you know, just kind of flowing throughout the day. And really only like the last couple hours were really strong, active, you know, and, you know, it just flowed. And so the, the goal isn't for it to be as fast as possible. Right. We're not looking for, be... for like a precipitous, you know, knock yeah. that baby out Because I hour. find oftentimes those really fast precipitous births sometimes go with that more lax pelvic floor and, you know, baby's chin maybe doesn't get time to tuck and, and that can come with its own set of injuries. Mm-hmm. And so the goal is balance. The goal is as fast as it needs to be right? right so because definitely i don't think it's normal to be in labor for most for three days three days of strong active labor and i've seen it there's something that we could do to support the physiology like and i joke like i don't want to be at your birth for three hours three days any more than you want to be at your birth for three days right right <laughs> and so that's why i started to get really obsessed with the prenatal prep too because you know, people always hire me because not always, but I, I feel a lot of times one of my, the reasons why I'm, I'm good as a doula is that I know all the fancy tricks. I I'm really good at knowing like what to release or what to open or how to help progress that birth. But my goal is to prepare someone's body and their mind and have them have the right team so well during pregnancy that they can just show up, have a boring birth, and not have to do all my fancy tricks. Yes. All right. So let's talk about that. What can someone do prenatally to help set themselves up for a more functional and efficient birth? Yeah. So my favorite thing ever. So of course, I love teaching how to be aware of your body, right? So body alignment. It's not about forcing your body into like only moving this way and only sitting this way. I find it's really tricky when I talk about this because I get, especially people who have had previously really difficult births can start to hyperfixate mm-hmm. on what I'm about to say. And so the goal isn't to hyperfixate on how you're moving all day, but the goal is to become just become a student of your body. You become more aware, become more aware of how you hold your body throughout the day. You know, the majority of us are patterns. Yeah, we sit in the same way and we've sat that same way for 20 years and we, you know, sit at our desk or we stand the same way or we, you know, for me, some of my, my own compensation patterns, cause you know, none of us have perfectly balanced bodies. We all have stuff. Mine is all, a lot of mine is related to sports that I played at a high level back in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm still undoing some of those patterns. And so it's not that someone's like, oh, my body's so screwed up. We, we're all on a journey, right? None of us are going to arrive at this mythical, perfectly balanced place. But that's why I always talk about, um, you know, it's about stacking the cards in your favor, right? Mm-hmm. It's about like taking control of the controllables so that you can let go and know that, you know, it's going the way it's supposed to. So the first one, of course, body alignment, like learning about your body, learning how to hold your body, learning about your own patterns, um, and then preparing your body specifically, right? So we, um, we talk at the body ready method about like, I have five, the five pillars, you know, it's, and, and, and working through these five pillars using the law of specificity to train your body specifically for birth, because, you know, when we are training for a marathon, we train very differently than if we were training for a CrossFit event. And so the same goes with birth as a very big phys- physiological event. Like we need specific training with the core, the pelvic floor, the pelvis, the movement patterns, uh, and the upper body. You know, that's often a forgotten about piece is the upper body that connects, you know, the diaphragm interacts with the psoas and, and the uterus and the pelvic floor. And so we got to 
we got to work on all of it in a more um, specific way. Um, and then honestly, if you do all of that perfectly, but then you have a really not great team <laughs> or you're giving birth at a place that doesn't actually ever really see birth the way you want your birth to go, then it's not going to maybe go the way you'd hoped. And so I always have to add that in, like who you choose to be with you at your birth and where you choose to birth is going to be one of the number one predictors of Mm -hmm. getting the birth you want, even above, you know, preparing your pelvic floor or baby's position. Like that can all get derailed in a second with a bad team. I completely (laughs) agree. It's like, Running up a mountain of jello, like you're, you're trying to get there and it's just, you're, and you're not, you're uh, not making yeah. the leeway that you want. Yeah. It's so frustrating, you know, and I always talk with my, my clients about, um, you know, being in alignment, yes, in your body and in your mind, but also with your team. Like, what yeah. do you want? And is that something that they know how to give you? You know, and I, I think everyone uses this, but like, if you want sushi, don't go to the Italian restaurant. Yeah. Like they're good people. You know, I have OBs, like they're great people doesn't mean that they're great for you (laughs) and they don't know how to make what you want. Absolutely. And one thing I want to add to that is trying not to go in with the attitude that you can change them because I've, and as a doula, I bet you have seen that because I know I've been hired as a doula in situations where they're like, okay, this is not a great team. They're not listening Mm -hmm. to me. So the doula is going to fix that. And the doula definitely can offer support, but they can't fight the battle and they can't change the mind of the care provider. They're not there to to do that. So I wanted to add that totally. small caveat that you definitely hire a doula, but they, they can't don't change. Expect, yeah. You don't want to fight. You don't want your doula to, or you, you don't want to have to fight through your birth. Like that sounds really stressful. You need to be in a very different place in your brain yeah. and you can't fight when you're in that place. Yeah, and if you're getting in that fighting place, then you're getting into that place with you're having less natural pain relief mm-hmm. from your body because you're in this like fight or flight mode. Yeah. It's you not know? the oh, hormonal you're... blueprint that we want. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's the exact opposite, <laughs> which could be a whole nother, <laughs> whole right, nother a whole conversation. show on its own. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back though, can you talk about some of the common signs that a birth is starting to get delayed and maybe baby and body need a bit of rebalancing? We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back. So what are some of the common signs that maybe the birth team or the birthing person is noticing that like birth's delayed, baby and body might need a little more rebalancing? Because I remember for mine when like there's a good four or five hours and my midwife checked me and she's like, I went from five to like five and a half and I'm like, Damn. Yeah, you're like, that was a lot of work for yeah. half a centimeter. What's and like going on? no descent and no more effacement. So that for me was like the moment where I almost knew too much. I'm like, darn, we got some work to do. Oh, so, yeah. And you know, I hate when I hate seeing when when someone gets a check and it's not the way they want it to go. It can be so disheartening. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's like the winds out of their sails and they're just like it's hard not some, you know what? Sometimes I have people even decide if they want to know because of how hard that can be mentally to keep yeah. going after you find that out. So yes, here's some signs. So sometimes there's a lot, there's a lot of different ones. So yes. I taught, I teach birth detective skills to, um, perinatal professionals because I find that the job of the birthing person is not to analyze their labor. Because if you're analyzing your labor, you're in the part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex, 
the thinking, judging, planning brain, and you aren't able to go into that deeper limbic brain where we need to be, you know, they call it labor land. You know, that's a really important place to be during birth. So you're more intuitive. And so that's my first caveat is like, that's not your job. Your job is to hire someone who knows. I mean, ideally, I think every birth professional should know this, um, like ways to assess that there's a stall, you know, or ways to see maybe there's not a stall, but we need more balance. Maybe everything is moving along fine, but that person is experiencing intense back labor. Okay. So that's that level of intensity. If somebody is, is past that pain to that suffering place is just like, like miserable, you know, that is a sign that something needs to shift. You know, maybe we need to get them back in their, what I call their labor flow state. You know, they've researched flow state for, you know, all facets, not just pregnancy and birth, but I've really taken that research into, to labor and birth. And I, and you see that the, the two ways, the research shows two ways that we disrupt the labor flow state. Um, the first is interruptions, <laughs> which, oh my gosh, the interruptions, you know, feeling distracted. You know, maybe if ever anyone's been working, like you work and you get in this flow and you're just like, like the words are flowing and everything's just going and then you're getting interrupted. You can't enter your flow state. So mm-hmm. that's really difficult in birth. So we as birth pros need to protect that space. And then the second thing is when you feel that that your ability level does not match the the amount needed. Basically, you don't feel like you can do it. So those are the two things that if those two things are not happening, if you feel like it's too much for you, you can't do it, or and you feel you're interrupted, you can't even get into your flow state. Mm-hmm. So that's the number one thing, not even related to what well, is related to the body, but it is, and it's the mind, right? Like so, so that's one. If someone is out of their labor flow state, you can see it. They're screaming, like high-pitched screaming. They're writhing in pain. Like that is not physiologically where we need to be during birth. And so someone needs to support that flow, coming Mm -hmm. back to flow. The other thing, if, like I said, if they're in that intense pain, it could be that they just need to find a better flow. But if they're in their flow state and it's still really intense or the contractions are coupling, they're not regular, maybe you see like, two minutes, five minutes, three, you know, it's very sporadic. We really want to see that regular pattern. Otherwise it can be a sign that, that, you know, something's trying to rotate, something's trying to shift, right? We're trying to get things to where they need to be. Or I'll see sometimes the like 30 seconds, they're, they're not getting to a minute, like they're 30 seconds, 45, just a really sporadic random pattern. That can be a really good sign. Um, that things need to shift. And then I'm always asking my clients and I'm teaching people to ask and wonder and get curious about where are they feeling their contractions? Because I, and, and there's a lot of different signs that can help us without assessing, because I don't do cervical exams. I'm a doula, but I can be really quite accurate in where that baby is in the pelvis based on what I'm seeing. So if, for example, the contractions are staying high and in the front and they're not shifting and it's been 12 hours, I'm starting to wonder, is that baby hung up in the inlet, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of signs. <laughs> and the more births you go to, the more you really can start to tune in to those signs. I absolutely 100% agree. And it took me 
quite a few births to start to see the difference. Like there is a similarity right. in births, yet there's also very glaring differences. Like you said, like the detective hat. And yeah. it's something that gets me so excited that I'm seeing more and more labor and delivery nurses get into this awareness instead of just relying on what's happening in the cervix. Because then, you, like you said, we can start to investigate, okay, I don't just have to stick my fingers in and get two, three centimeters, whatever. We can see, because again, like as doulas, we're not going in there. But from the sounds people make, the movement they make, where they're feeling the pain, it exactly. can really offer a lot of insight. I love that you're you're working specifically with doulas and practitioners to have this keen eye because it takes time and you're almost uh, speeding that up for a lot of people. Like it took me years with a, also with a great mentor to teach us me. And I love that you're offering this for people to learn a little quicker. A little more yeah, efficiently. it was it took me a while too, you know, because it was like I was merging the fields of exercise science and biomechanics and all I, I'm obsessed with biomechanics. It was my favorite. I would have, I would have actually just had my degree in biomechanics if it was a degree option. Mm-hmm. I took every biomechanics class I could because I'm fascinated in all of that stuff. And I, it's so shocking to me that people still don't realize that your pelvis is not a fixed entity. Your pelvis changes and actually even going a step further, you know, we see these skeleton models, you know, you see them in school and you, and even there's that kid's um, song that's like your leg bones connected to your hip bones and all that whole, it's like none of our bones are actually even touching one another. Yeah. Like we don't want them to, it's our soft tissues that are giving our bony bone, all of our bones, their shape. And so that's super empowering for me because it means that we have the power to shift that. Well, and let's that's- talk about that. So how, yeah. cause I, I get very excited about the mobility of the pelvis. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is where like for me, the yoga and the, the pelvis and the soft tissue, like it gets very exciting to know that we don't have to just sit there and think, okay, this is a stuck vessel. I'm just gonna have to wait for baby to find its way through that we can create mobility in the pelvis and open different parts. So what are some methods to make space for baby? Yeah. I mean, it, so of course it depends where the baby is in the pelvis. So, you know, I think a lot of people think the pelvis is like, uh, and the baby is like a like basket. A <laughs> yeah. Or it's like a basketball hoop and the baby is like a, uh, it's like a basketball going through hoop, but actually there's a curve, you know, the babies navigate a curve, babies rotate through the pelvic floor so that needs to yield and babies navigate the psoas, babies navigate all kinds of different soft tissues. And, um, and so we first need to know where that baby is during birth. If we're talking during birth, we want to know where that baby is. So we know where we're wanting to make space because if we're making space in the top of the pelvis, the pelvic inlet, that's going to slightly close the bottom of the pelvis, the outlet. And if we're making space in the outlet, that's going to restrict the inlet. And so, I mean, I would show you, this is, it's hard when you're only hearing it to he, to see, but you know, everyone look up sacral, you know, nutation and counter nutation. You can very clearly see that the pelvis moves and creates different shapes based on how we're even positioning ourselves. So like, for example, if you bring your knee up in front of you, it's called hip flexion or like a deep squat or something that's going to open the outlet, because what it's doing is it's pulling those soft tissues are attached to those bony tissues and they're pulling them open, you know, and then opposingly on the opposite side, if you're going into hip extension, so legs coming behind you or hips forward, 
that is going to give a different type of pull, which is going to open the top of the pelvis, the pelvic inlet. And so that's really powerful to know, especially birth pros, you know, encouraging this to their clients, because I have found in birth, if we just go into that labor flow state, we actually just do the positions that open the right space. Mm -hmm. That's the cool thing. But then it's our job as birth professionals to observe. And if there is the need, then we can make a suggestion to make more space and to make more balance. And then going back even further into, you know, pregnancy, I think sometimes we think like when I give birth, my tissues are just going to yield, but a tight tissue, like a really tight hypertonic pelvic floor is still a hypertonic pelvic floor during birth. Yes, things are going to soften some, but we really do, if we are more proactive in pregnancy, we have more available space to make different shapes during the birth itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We do a ton of that in prenatal about lengthening the, yeah. the pelvic floor and learning how to release it because so many people are like, Kegel, Kegel, are yeah. we supposed to do that? That's another question. And then also the psoas is another one that I find, especially with so much sitting, you know, and I feel like it's a couple of years right. and a lot more, um, less movement. So I completely agree that the soft tissue doesn't just yield because you're all of a sudden in labor. That can really, that can really hold up how baby enters and moves through. So what are some things or positions? And I guess I just said once a lot of sitting, but that a birthing person <laughs> may unknowingly be doing that could possibly delay birth. So you're talking during pregnancy or during well, the birth? Let's itself. do both. How can I throw okay. both at you? Yeah, absolutely. I love, I could talk about this all, all day. <laughs> <laughs> so pregnancy, um, let's start with pregnancy. I, you know, of course we, we sit a lot and I'm not anti sitting, but it's about, we're always in the same shape. We're always holding our bodies in the same shapes. We're always falling into our compensation patterns. Our bodies love to make things easy for us. So if let's say very common one during pregnancy is weak glutes, you know, we tend to shift our whole pelvis forward with that belly, the whole pelvis shifts, shifts forward. We're kind of using our psoas as like a seat belt and just kind of like falling forward with the pelvis and then our glutes aren't working. Our glutes are what support our pelvic floor. And so we have all these folks that, you know, since the glutes aren't working, something else goes, well, the pelvis needs to be supported. So I'm going to tighten up. And to that's do our it. pelvic floor. It's like, really yeah. friends, you're or not going to help. <laughs> or our, yeah, there's so many tissues that are overworking because other ones are underworking. And so then what we do a lot of times is we go, to the overworking tissue, we're like, relax, you know, go to a massage therapist, they release it, go to this, this person, they like, or we, we self-release that tissue, which is great. And I love all of that. But if we release the overworker, but we don't get the underworker doing their job, the overworker is going to go, well, that was a nice break. Now I got to go back to this job that no one else is doing. And so we get these, these imbalances and they get perpetuated, right? So it's not that pregnancy created all these issues. It's that we all have our compensation patterns and then you add a pregnancy to that. And it's almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, this work is really cool because, um, the same stuff that I teach that makes, and you teach as well, that makes birth more efficient also makes the core more functional. Also Mm -hmm. makes us not pee our pants when we go to the trampoline park. It doesn't, you know, and so it makes our knee pain better, you know, Mm -hmm. and the whole body's connected, you know? And so, it's really empowering to just learn how to to use the body better because the number one reason that people 
go into elder care, I'm going past pregnancy now, is incontinence. Yeah. And so I feel like we tolerate way too much that there are answers to. And so we, that's why I'm so passionate about getting this out to people because your pelvic floor is your pelvic floor for life. So we want to take care of it through pregnancy and through birth, right? And so birth, it's the same thing. Like we, our modern industrial complex doesn't really seem to understand biomechanics. Like what they're, what they suggest is often the opposite of what the body actually needs to make the space, you know, flat, you know, the very obvious example is lithotomy position, birthing flat on our backs, pulling the knees to the armpits in what's called external rotation, which if we're in external rotation, we're actually slightly closing the outlet from, from side to side. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful. Like social media has brought the internal A lot of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. But yet I don't understand. I still go to births and it's still the number one most recommended thing. And so it, it does take, it does take time for these things to shift. But I think also we need to start demanding and we need to start saying, no, I'm, I refuse to, to birth in that position. Well, you know, something I found really interesting. I was at a birth many years ago and we talked, I, you know, so, and I know you do this with your clients too. We talk ahead of time about birthing positions and I always say, you know, they get excited like, oh, I have all the, some people don't even know they have an option besides being on their back. I'm right. Like, most know, people, you, most people. And yeah. we talk about, you know, when you're on your back, your sacrum's pushing in, like you're like, you're closing the doors. You just said like your sit bones are closer together. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about this, a lot of people get really excited. But then they can go to their care provider. And this is what was really interesting during a birth is the care provider said, I'm all up for trying a different position, but I'm not taught. Like, I don't know how I've never caught a baby in a position other than what is traditional. And I loved the honesty of that wow, care provider. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think that's really amazing that they said that. But to also recognize sometimes it's because these other tools of care providers, it's not passed down. So a lot of them, that's what they're taught. That's what they know. That's what they're comfortable with. That's what they're, they're afraid that they're going to have some sort of like shoulder dystocia or something. And they, and that's why I think a lot of people end up on their back. So amazingly, this care provider is like, let's at least like, I said, can we just turn the person like, 90 degrees. Like even on your side. side. Like, I'm like 90 that's degrees in there. really normal. <laughs> and that's what we did. So in the getting on your side, all of a sudden your sacrum, like a little trap door can move back and you can get that top leg, a little internal rotation. But I thought there was something pretty amazing about the honesty of why a lot of care providers want them on their back. Yeah. It's like old habits die hard. You know, I, that actually made me think of a really a story from, I don't know, it was, I always, now I'm like, it was the birth pre or post pandemic. So this was post pandemic. <laughs> Cause I'm like, okay, sometime after 2020, this birth occurred. And, um, this, this, uh, it was the third time of this mother's, her third birth and her first time hiring a doula. And she really wanted an, uh, uh, to not have an epidural this time. She'd had it the first two times. She's like, I just want to, do it different this time. She had her same OB. She's like, Oh, I love my OB. You know, I've been with him forever, you know, and that, and that can be hard to switch. I get that. And so, um, she's, she's, you know, plugging along just fine. Of course the OB comes in for the end of pushing. She's on hands and knees. And he's like, if you are on that position, we can't pass your baby to you. There's no way for us to pass. I'm like, what? I was so confused. I was like, can't you just bring it under? I was like, I was, I kind of showed him. I was like, I, I, 
I have apparently you you can't my face you can you could read my face probably I'm sure I was so confused by that I was like what and I was like hey, can you just do this and I kind of showed because I've been to hundreds of births I, you know I very I've seen a lot of hands and knees births and I'm like can you just pass up this way and he didn't acknowledge my present okay, okay cool um she she refused to move she was no thank you I'm I'm good in this position despite his insistence and um. Once the baby's born, he looked really kind of like confused for a moment, like holding the baby, like, what do I do? And then I kind of looked away to give like, no, do what you need. And he, sure enough, he did exactly as I (laughs) had suggested five minutes earlier and it worked out, you know, just fine. But I wonder if that was the first time that doctor had ever very possibly on their knees. Yeah. And the nurses after he left was like, thank you so much (laughs) because the nurses really can't say that, right? They're employed by, it's just a really tricky scenario. So it's knowing how to advocate in a way that is not super hostile. I guess that's, that's, that's my own privilege speaking, right? Right. That I can do that, but um, it's really important for folks to get the birth they want. Especially when they're doing that in an, it, there's no evidence to support that. Absolutely. So what are some small things a partner or doula can look for during a birth to help move it along a little more smoothly? Yeah. So the number one thing I always say is I always bring it back to the labor flow state. So supporting that flow, making sure that person is not being interrupted, that they're going deep within, that they are, you know, finding their rhythm. That is the way to get them using their intuition because they know how to birth their baby. They know, you know, I've seen people be like, why did you put me in that position? And I'm like, I didn't do anything. You jumped up in that position like intuitively. And I was just here, like making sure you didn't fall off the bed. Like I, I'm thinking of a very particular birth. Um, and so I've learned a lot of what I teach just by going to a lot of births and seeing a lot of intuitive movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the number one thing is supporting that flow state. Of course, um, helping people to be in alignment with their team. So having the provider, you know, if someone's coming to me and saying what they want and saying, that they're going to this provider that has a, you know, 60% cesarean rate and that's not what they want. I think it is important for me to let them know that, right? I think too often doulas will not say the things they know. And I think that people deserve that information. And so that, that's the other one. Um, during the birth itself, it's also having the skills to know what to do when, because I found, you know, prior to all this work I do and what I teach now, you know, I remember feeling as a new doula really unsure, like, what should I do now? So what position makes sense for what level of the pelvis the baby's in, for example? Mm-hmm. You know, like you can squeeze, you know, the double hip squeeze is a very known. Yeah, it's a bit, it's like the go-to doula hands-on technique, but you can actually double hip squeeze in a way that's unknowingly creating less space where the baby mm-hmm. is. And so it's about having, I, I believe, I believe we have a responsibility to know the information, knowing what to do when, rather than just, I felt like I had all these tools in my toolbox, but I was just kind of reaching in the bag and just pulling one at random. Like, oh, let's try sifting now, or oh, let's try the toilet now, or well, no, the toilet's a great mid pelvis movement because that's when baby's rotating through the pelvic floor. And so, you know, maybe we want to try something else in a different 
time, right? So, cause when you're at a birth, there's only, you're not going to try 20 things, right? You, you only really, they're not going to, people are not going to tolerate you just trying, throwing everything at them. So you really mm-hmm. want to be specific and intentional with every suggestion you give. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I felt so fortunate that I had a very experienced mentor. And mm-hmm. when I did come against things, I still remember there's a fifth birthday I've attended posterior baby. And I'm like, this does not look like anything I have been taught. I was able to call someone for that guidance. And I love that you are basically offering that mentorship in a sense for newer doulas because we, we learn it's one of those professions that you have to learn by seeing and doing, not just really, by yeah. reading. Like, you know, it's only totally. so much the book's going to give you. And because I had a really skilled doula that I could explain things to, she knew exactly how to help me help the client. It's like, okay, this is what we have to open. This is what we have to do. And it was, and I think it's something that, like you said, you can't just throw everything at it because we could be closing off parts that we need to open. Right. And there's also what works in theory and what actually works when you're there. Right. You know, I, I've been seeing a lot of, and it's great. I've seen a lot of people educating on social media about, let's say, pushing and saying like, you should never actually have to push. You should never hold your breath to push. Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, that, in theory, <laughs> I, but like, I don't, I, yeah, mm, I had like to if use you're, every if, fiber of my body to get one of my babies out. Right. So that's the thing. So if you are seeing everyone on social media, you know, all these, um, fit pros and PTs and all these people saying like, don't push it will damage your pelvic floor. And then you have to push. You're thinking, what did I do wrong? Exactly. I'm a failure. I didn't do it right. Yeah. So it's like, it's a range, it's a spectrum. And so I feel like really, it's really helpful to go to births and to see this stuff in reality because it's not always going to be this ideal thing. And it's not always like, you know, just don't, just don't push and just get off your back and everything will be just fine. Like, no, sometimes it still isn't sometimes, you know, and I've been to home births that are 40 hours long too, you know, great provider, great team. Yeah. And I thought my baby would just like walk out. I'm like, this is what I do. Of course, this is what I do. And and I had to push. I had to like push. And I was also talking to one of my students recently. She had a baby. She's not back for her second. And we talked a lot about a certain technique that she was taught. And she's like, I somewhat practiced it. I didn't really practice it maybe enough. And she said, but I felt like a failure because birth still hurt. And I thought it was not going to hurt because I took this specific technique. Mm. And I said, you know, we're all going to have our own experiences. And I, my personal uh, idea is like for a lot of people that pain pleasure can be like a knife edge. Like some people, it can be Mm. a great amount of sensation that one person can say it was just strong sensation and someone else can say it's painful. So we don't want to label if you do X, you will feel, you know, Y, like we don't know how it's going to turn out. And we don't want someone to feel like they did it wrong because they either felt pain or had fear or had to hold their breath and push. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, and pain is interesting. I I'm super interested in pain science. It's a really fascinating topic and you could go into the, you know, the perception of pain is a big thing too. You know, mm-hmm. in my second birth, which actually I did not really, ex- I didn't, I don't remember any experience of pain in my second, third or fourth actually, but it was all, if somebody in that moment had said, Lindsay, are you feeling pain? And I had like gotten out of my flow and I had like 
started to like analyze it. Yeah, this is painful. But in the moment, I wasn't even perceiving it that way. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really, it's really our perceptions right. and expectations and, oh, there's so much to be said about that. And of course, even with our perceptions and all those things, you know, maybe a posterior baby or acyclitic baby or a unyielding pelvic floor or something else. Like there's other things that can increase the sensation to signal that we need a shift as well. Right. So that's the tricky thing about birth because sensation is normal. And so how do we know, you know, if this is just normal sensation, if this person is just needing to find their flow state or if we really need to balance the tissues? Yes. 100%. So it's usually a range of all of those things. And the beauty of this is like, actually, you brought up the psoas. I'm, I could talk about the psoas for hours, but the it's psoas, my favorite muscles. <laughs> right? It's, it's our muscular skeletal connection into our central nervous system. It's like our juiciest muscle. It's the um, fight or flight or fawn muscle. And so, you know, if we think like the body and the mind aren't connected, they're connected right there. Right. And so sometimes it's even just a matter of getting someone to breathe into their rib cage in a way that's going to release their upper psoas. That's going to allow them to relax, downregulate their nervous system and get out of that fight or flight. Now everything just flows. And so that was like a mental thing, but it also addressed a physical thing as well. The psoas, which is our baby's guide wire into the pelvis. (laughs) So it's like, it's all related. Yeah. Right. Prepare your mind, prepare your body. Well, let's talk a little bit about the mind aspect of this. So I know as a Julie, you've worked with many people whose births might have been longer than they had yeah. hoped. So besides the physical offering of rebalancing hopes to shift the baby, how have you been able to support them emotionally when they may be exhausted or deflated from either a long labor or maybe a vaginal exam that they were disappointed by hearing hearing the results of? Yeah. I mean, it really depends on the person. First of all, um, a question that sometimes will come up in doula interviews is like, how do you doula or like, what's your normal way of dueling? And I would say it really depends on the person. You know, some people want me to need a lot of touch. Some people don't want to be touched at all and need a lot of verbal support. You know, I remember very specifically a birth um, where she, she hit a wall. There was some intensity. There was, I think it was a cervical lip. Maybe it's been a while. I can't remember exactly why, but she started to freak out. And for her, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty chill person. She even, I, this was, I was really fun to read her. She wrote out her birth story and read her experience of this. And what I did was I took her head in my hands and I was like, mom, I'm not going to say your name, mom, like, look at me, like we started breathing together basically. I was like, basically it was like the take charge routine is what they call it in doula. It was like, we need to stop this. We need to breathe together. And and I just kind of snapped her out of it. She was like, in those two minutes, Lindsay earned all the monies <laughs> because she was like, I, she was like, it jolted me because you're not quite, you're not usually so like in my face. Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden you're in my face and we're breathing together. Because she couldn't regulate her breath. So it was like she needed to look into my eyes. Yep. We need to look at each other like like person to person and just breathe together. And like this is okay. And so, you know, it's kind of like I have four different kids and they kind of all need something a little different in how I, um, you know, take care of things with them. And I feel like it's the same is with my doula clients. So, um, you know, in that's why... 
I spend a lot of time in prenatal visits just chatting and just relationship building. Mm-hmm. If it seems like it's random and, and I'm unprepared, it's not. <laughs> I, I mean, I am prepared and we do things, but that portion of it is very intentional. And I'm doing the same with the partner because I want to get to know them because they need support just as much, right? Yeah. And so making sure that I kind of get their values, I kind of get their way of communicating with each other, their way of communicating with me. I'm actually kind of a Enneagram nerd, if you've heard of the Enneagram yeah. types. Yeah. And so some, I'll actually ask people the Enneagram numbers or depending on the client, sometimes I'll just like have a mental note of what it might be because that can also help to me to respond to what's going on with them in a way that lands for them. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's hard. I can't just say like, this is the one thing I do. Right. But it's, and it's really about tuning into my own intuition and kind of in training my nervous system to their nervous system so that we're almost flowing together. Right. They say like, I think I've heard it somewhere like don't flow alone. <laughs> and I'm like, it's so true in birth though. That's why I know I'm sure you have the same experience of like, I can be at a birth for three hours or three days and I'm wiped. Yeah. It takes like a while to recover because you're giving I'm, yourself. You're yeah, so, you're and so you're so available. And yeah. yes, like my whole life is, I don't even think about, and I've been, I've been lactating through many years of birth too and had newborns through birth work. And when I'm there, I'm there. Yeah. I am very grateful to have a partner who's so supportive and can like just take care of everything while I'm gone because I am there. I am entrained. I am like so in tune with that person that it's hard to explain, but you, you know, intuitively kind of what they need when yeah. you get in that state. It's making me miss my doula days. <laughs> like I love not doing about- it as much anymore because I'm more training other doulas and I do, I do a lot of repeat births mostly now because my husband jokes, I can never say no to the repeats, but there's like sometimes I've been, if I've been at five of your births, like, come on. Yeah. It's like so fun. I, I know loved you. being the repeat ones. It feels so very, fun. it's like an honor to walk that path again. All right. We're going to take one more break, but when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new or expectant parents? We'll be right back. All right. So you have so much knowledge. So if you had to whittle it down, <laughs> And I'm sure you have your brains like popcorn, like which one, which one? Yes. (laughs) What is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents? I think it would be, I'm just like doing with the first one that pops in my head because that's going to be the one that you all need to hear maybe is to just own your pregnancy, own your birth, own your life, right? You, you are in charge. You are driving your own bus you know, we are here to support you and you get to choose who comes alongside you, but don't give that power away, Mm. right? Take it in for yourself because, you know, people are going to have opinions on what you do with that child for the rest of probably (laughs) their life and your life. You know, they're going to have an opinions of how you feed them, what you, how you put them to sleep, what school they go to or don't go to or this or that. Yeah. So, so I feel like, Set your boundaries now. Like this is my pregnancy. Thank you. But this is my choice. You know, everyone's going to have an opinion. As soon as people see that you have a, a visible belly, you know, you go to the target checkout and someone's telling you their horror story of their birth. And so it's really about like protecting your space, honoring this space and honoring your own wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
I can tell you how to prepare your body and sacral mobility and mind prep and so as and this and that, but ultimately you get to choose. You get to choose who you want to believe, who you want to like go all in with and how you want to, you know, manage your pregnancy, birth and your life. That is such good advice, not just about pregnancy, but your like birth and life. That is so good. So where can people find your work? Yeah. So, um, I, I spend most of my time on, like, if you're talking social medias everywhere on <laughs> Instagram. So in, I'm sure you'll link them. Our yes. Instagram is one strong mama prenatal. Um, I do a lot of little reels and things like that. We just joined TikTok, So I'm starting that as well. <laughs> Body ready method for that one. And then we also have a free Facebook community, the one strong mama community, um, which is really fun. Um, and lastly, you've got all kinds of places. If you are a professional, um, the body ready method is really where we hang out there. So we have, um, our, um, website for that. And then our groups for that are for people who are going through the program. So it's a really nice way of, um, finding a community and really like diving deep into this, this type of work. I will make sure I have all of those links in the Perfect. show notes. And it was such a pleasure to reconnect with you. You and I are so aligned on so many of our thoughts. So it is going to be such a joy to have the community get to be further enriched by your ideas. So thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, Deborah. It's such an honor. I love your work. I love what you're doing in this world. And I think together, you know, we're all like these game changers and we're going to leave pregnancy, birth, and recovery better than we found it. Yay. Yay. <laughs> this has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.